know there is so much power inside of you, you have the power to make an impact on the planet and the people around you just by believing in yourself. You get to decide how today, this year, this life is going to go. Are you feeding your old bad habits or are you feeding your power? What's up, big dreamers? Your lady vitamin Katie is here and you are listening to my Feed Your Power podcast. I am a vegan registered dietitian and fitness instructor and my mission is to empower you to feel confident and excited about your health and your life. I know we're about to have so much fun together, so thank you for pressing play and let's begin. I just read an article published November 21st, 2023 stating that eating disorders in the U.S. rose 65% as a percentage of all medical claims over the last five years. The article also stated that overall, 72% of patients with eating disorders were diagnosed with at least one co-occurring mental illness like depression or anxiety. After struggling with my own disordered eating and not getting my menstrual cycle for eight years, I am beyond elated to introduce to you a being exuding infinite possibilities from the depth of despair with her own mental health to being the brightest light I have ever seen. Seriously, I don't think I've ever been this inspired. This introduction I'm about to share is a little lengthy and she is so worth the length of this introduction. Let's get into it. Nicole is known as a multi-award winning social entrepreneur, but she prefers to be seen as an unstoppable messenger of love and human potential, impacting millions of people worldwide with her unconventional models of community development and transformation. A modern day philosopher, Nicole is obsessed by love's power to affect change. Currently leading a global movement, Love Out Loud, which is devoted to successfully actualizing a civilization of love by 2030. Okay, you must read her book, Love Out Loud. I listened to it for free on Spotify. Go listen to it right now after you listen to this, of course. The movement Love Out Loud is now focused on the development of in truth, which is a transformational technology that is the world's most advanced emotion monitoring and resilience building platform, which will support individuals to become increasingly more conscious and aware with a powerful vision to transform global health and education systems, pioneering the concept of emotional wellness as the catalyst to transform human consciousness at scale. So incredible. When Nicole was only 18 years old, she established a nonprofit that worked in youth, mental health, and community capacity building, engaging tens of thousands of young people across Australia in unconventional conversations of vulnerability, self-love, purpose, and connection. This was inspired after a terrifying lived experience with anorexia nervosa. After completing a significant national tour, Nicole was a finalist for the Young Australian of the Year and listed as one of Australia's top 100 most influential women at only 21 years old, shortly after taking the Pride of Australia medal. 
Nicole has made a vast impact in the health and education landscape in Australia and served as the youngest Commonwealth Commissioner for Health in History, advising directly to the Australian Federal Health Minister and Prime Minister. She also recently published her second book called Legacy Disorder in September 2023, which is an exploration of the distortion of our collective ideas of legacy due to socio-cultural influences. The book urges a radical reconsideration of priorities. And you better believe in crossing paths with this woman and listening to her words, she has radically changed my perspective and my life for the better. So without further ado, let's open the conversation with the incredible Nick Gibson. Gosh, it was unbelievable getting to see you on stage at the Dragonfly Live. I was blown <laughs> away. It's kind of a, a rigid environment it seems you know people all buttoned up but you made everyone feel so comfortable like I instantly was like who is this person I need to look this person up I need to follow them I need to eat what they're eating take what they're taking you know you really have an energy about you I'm learning about you I was like there's no way this person struggled with an eating disorder there's no way this person struggled with mental health like you are just so comfortable and embodied. And I'm curious to hear if there's anything specifically that day or rituals or just <laughs> you want to share uh, your story a little bit, how you came to be this such a powerful person that's so comfortable and allow, allows other people to feel comfortable. How did you do that? Mm. Wow, Katie, thank you. That's such a beautiful, you know, acknowledgement. Uh, just a uh... I considered reflection of maybe what I dealt with when I was younger and, and where I am now. Because I think even even when it's your journey, you can forget, you know, you know, never never fully forget. But definitely there was a time where, um, yeah, I was riddled with insecurity. I definitely didn't feel comfortable inside my own skin. And I think, um, I mean, this is a big question and it can be <laughs> tackled from so many different perspectives. I mean, we can start general and maybe then we can break it down into into the specifics. Um, I guess for me, kind of that the, the pivotal moment in my journey was an experience of unconditional love. And we can talk about that, um, that I suppose gave my life a direction and also gave my life a, a philosophical framework to live by. And I would say like many people in our world don't have that. Many people in, in, in our world are still struggling to understand, you know, what, what the right direction is in life, what, what values are other values that mean most to them you know what is what is morality even if we're not kind of asking these questions in a really conscious way I think it's very innate to a human being to want to um find that sense of security and direction in life and I think more than ever now we have an absence of that because you know back in the day say our parents generation and and their parents so on we kind of had um we had sort of contexts that were preset. And I, I would argue that mo most of, mostly that was kind of religion, that, that this is the principle that you should live by. Um, and there was, I think, a sense of comfort that people could, you know, find within that. And I think we're now moving more and more into this kind of like extreme postmodernist era where anything can be anything. Mm -hmm. And although there's a lot of exciting things about that, I think it can actually create a lot of insecurity because 
we're all trying to figure it out right i don't, I don't think you, you ever get to an age where you're like yeah you know I've, I've really got it sorted um but yeah the experiences i had earlier in life when i was uh battling with an eating disorder i know you were you were listening to my book and it's it's one of the first stories i tell in my book of my my school principal um his radical act of love really it definitely changed my life it potentially saved my life and i think it redefined how i understood leadership and meaning in life and that what what he did for me during a time where i was for the context of your audience i was going to a performing arts school it was a highly competitive environment i was doing everything that i believed you know one needed to do in order to be successful which were uh, you know extremely destructive behaviors, but they were kind of normalized. And for me, that sent me into a life-threatening eating disorder. And it was a very heartbreaking experience beyond what I think is probably immediately obvious. And what I mean by that is I was committing to the behaviors and, and the mindset and kind of trying to transform myself into what I believed would be the epitome of success trying to win the love of my directors, my agency, you know, my peers, my parents, by being this um, ideal. And I was being pushed in that direction, you know, and, until I was there. And then when I was there, it was sort of like a, how it felt. I'm sure this wasn't how it was in reality, but how it felt through the eyes of the 16 year old was that there was this uh, kind of like light switch that was flicked and all of a sudden I was a burden. You know, so the thing that I had worked so hard for and given so much, you know, sacrifice and suffered every day to achieve, all of a sudden I was being told that I wasn't well, you know, and that I needed help. And that was a very difficult thing to kind of reconcile. Um, and it it was a massive test, I think, of of letting go. And I would argue that not a lot of people have that test, maybe until later in life, when maybe they've achieved a huge amount of I don't know, material success, or maybe on the younger side of um, people's experience, maybe it's reaching their 30s and realizing their career isn't what they thought it would be or whatever. But I experienced that so young. And with that, I think came this really radical perspective of what really matters. Um, and then my principal's role in that was, I was in an environment where no one was kind of uh like welcoming of vulnerable conversations no one wanted to have emotionally challenging conversations um vulnerability was definitely seen as a sign of weakness so on and my school principal was this like really alpha dude like the most unlikely person to have this conversation with me um but he came up to school he came up to me at school one day and i was very kind of frail at this point and said, I need to talk to you in my office. And I remember feeling just terrified. Like I knew what he wanted to talk to me about because I you know, knew that it, it couldn't have been anything else. And all I wanted at that point was to be seen. And then as soon as someone was seeing me, I wanted to run in the opposite direction, which I think is also a pretty common experience. <laughs> um, and when I got to his office, he was already sitting there. I was sitting on, uh, sorry, I walked into his um, his office, opened the door, and usually, you know, in the principal's office, you would sit opposite him. And I felt so physically 
anxious and unwell that I couldn't sit close to him. Um, I really felt like I was going to get in trouble. Like that was this overwhelming sense that I was going to get in trouble. So I went and sat in a corner of his office as far away from him as, as I could. And I braced myself like to, to be yelled at. And then what he said was just so incredibly disarming and unexpected. And he said, I'm not here to make you feel afraid. I just want you to know that you're not alone in going through this. Um, and I think anyone that's been in, you know, a compromising situation where you, your mind is really, you know, has become your worst enemy. It's telling you things like you're pathetic and everyone, you know, everyone hates you. You're a waste of space. And these kind of really self-deprecating thoughts. If you tell yourself these things enough times, which is definitely like true in the practice of, you know, in order to continually starve yourself, there's, it comes from a deep place of, of self-hatred, you know, and I think that often in mental health, that's not addressed, you know, we focus so much on, yeah, just think positive and be positive, but on the other side of that, you know, the reason someone is seeking those answers, it's like to really not love yourself, to, to rob yourself of life and pleasure, and I think there's a myriad of different ways that people do this. Yeah. Um, that's how I felt about myself. So for him to say that was like, well, totally disarming. Yeah. And I just want to say, I, completely broke it. I, I yeah. just love that my question was, oh, how are, how are you so comfortable in your body? You know, how are you so, and instead of saying, oh, you know, I, I told myself some affirmations in the mirror, you're telling this story of being frail you know so I just I had to point that out I think it's absolutely beautiful yeah reading your book like listening to your book has definitely saved my life and I'm sure it's it's just I love how you mentioned death I love how you mentioned contrast witnessing this contrast and I'm so glad that you're you're sharing this story and yeah I invite you to continue like please connect this loop for us you've definitely mm, thank you Katie yeah, to, to your point, it's like, that is the truth. How, if, if you see someone, often the happiest people have been through the most, you know, from my experience. And often the most loving people are the most familiar with what it feels like to not be loved. You know, I think life really is mm. in those times that, that it can feel massively unfair what you're going through. It's really about remembering that there's another side, you know, and there's always another side and, and life if you continue to have faith in those dark times, life will, you know, it will give back to you what you feel like it's tested you on or it's um, taken from you. And yeah, like that's definitely been, that's definitely been true in my journey and, and not because, you know, a magic wand was waved. And even though this conversation in the story with my principal was a pivotal moment in my life, it wasn't, some kind of magic elixir that took away all the suffering. There was a considerable amount of suffering that came after, but the difference was I had, you know, somewhat of a North Star. Mm -hmm. Like I had a, a, a belief that there was a, a, a different kind of way than the darkness I had known. And um, that's the power we can have on, on someone's life simply by, you know, doing our best to be loving and kind. I think it's the most under um underutilized form of transformation you know to me that is how we try
in the world. But anyway, so I was sitting there and, you know, when he said this, I just started bawling my eyes out. And it was the first time I had cried in a really long time. Like I had just been kind of, you know, holding all of that emotion in, trying to be, trying to be strong. And there's a point here that I think is really important, you know, generally in the conversation of, um, understanding love in the context of our culture often when we don't feel comfortable with you know vulnerability or even ourselves you know our own emotional kind of states if we're rejecting our inner pain our inner heartbreak our inner whatever if someone else shows up in our life that is mirroring that same emotion we can't help but you know deflect or reject mm-hmm. and so what what happens by not loving ourselves is we're essentially in one way or another dehumanizing the people around us because we haven't fully humanized ourselves and we, we then can't face that in another human being and, and we see this on a micro level I'm sure we can all think of examples of this in our own lives but then think about this on a macro level what's happening in our world you know uh if if the people that are saying yes to um catalyze war really f- the people that they're seeing as the enemy as if they were their own family it just wouldn't be possible to make those decisions and so these root kind of issues they have to start with the self i i really believe that we have to we have to find a place of wholeness in ourselves, and that's the greatest form of service everything else can come after that Mm -hmm. um and so my principal sat there and he didn't interrupt my crying, which was again, really unusual. You know, usually if you're sitting there crying, especially th- this context, you know, young girl and older, <laughs> especially Australia has a very kind of rough culture, masculine culture. He oh. just let, he let me cry. <laughs> and after maybe like 20, 30 minutes, he asked me a question. He said, you know what my favorite thing to do after school is? And I shook my head. And he said, my favorite thing to do after school, and it has been for as long as I've been an educator, 20, 30 years, is to have a beer. And obviously I was pretty thrown by this, thinking to myself, like, is he going to tell me that that's the answer to my problems? Or, (laughs) And then he said, I want to make you a deal. And he got out a piece of paper from his desk and he wrote on the piece of paper as if it was a contract. I won't have a beer until you hit your weight target. And he signed it and he put it on his wall next to his desk. And I just stared at it in shock. He never mentioned that I was clearly struggling with mental health issues or that I had an eating disorder. He just straight out the gate, I guess, kind of made this commitment to me that he was going to give up something that he loved, the favorite part of his day, um, to make this deal with me and help me feel less alone. And I had never, it was something, you know, ultimately quite simple I don't want to say easy because I think a sacrifice of any kind you know comes with its challenges even if it is a beer um (laughs) it was the first time that I guess I had felt someone willing to be with me in my experience not talk down at me not resist me not tell me what to do but actually just and and not say you have to get better just until you get better you know if that ever happens this is a commitment I'm going to make you everybody you must listen to the love out loud book it's I've heard this before and it's really landing differently now hearing this again from you witnessing Mm -hmm. 
what I teach my patients and clients, it's what I teach my patients and clients is, okay, how would you want your daughter to think of themselves when they look in the mirror or when they're like about to eat something? And it sounds like with this experience that you had, you had the opportunity to witness, oh my gosh, okay. Just like you said, this, this unconditional, this detached, you were able to witness what that looks like and kind of practice that with yourself. Be like, okay, maybe I can be this kind of detached with what's going on with myself like he is with me. Like, is there any, um, oh my gosh, bringing that to you being on stage, this um, capacity, this willingness that you were able to, yeah, embrace what was going on. Might you be willing to share? I think that I had written down a word that you shared too, um, emotional granularity, like emotional. Self-awareness. Yeah, the self that's, that's really, that's really what it is, you know, like emotional granularity is a, is a framework which uh, looks at, you know, the, the, the hyper granularity of emotional articulation and kind of explores that the more granular and specific you can be in how you express yourself emotionally, the broader your capacity to experience life, feel self-expressed. So rather than just saying something is good, something is bad, you can really get specific rather than just saying, I feel bad. You could specify and say, I'm feeling really exhausted or I'm feeling jealous or I'm feeling, you know, really trying to get the nuance of what you're experiencing. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's vulnerable. Right. And I think that's where the lack of willingness always comes back to the lack of self-love and, and kind of let me explain that because it's an important point it's never about expressing our vulnerability we, we we think that it's about how the other person is going to react to us if, if i express my vulnerability you know someone's going to react or they're going to be upset they're going to be angry they're going to use it against me whatever judge me but really it's how we feel in expressing that vulnerability and if they do choose to judge us or whatever, and we can't control another person, so you know they will react how they're going to react. But in the the reaction that we believe is most probable, so say it's judgment, we can't handle how we feel in the face of that judgment. And if you can get yourself to a place where you're able to love yourself enough, you know whether or not someone's judging you or whatever, you know. If, if that doesn't change how you feel about yourself, then your capacity to live very authentically is, um, you know, radically altered because you know, your actions are not dependent on how someone else is going to, to be. And when you think about that in the context of a lot of people's lives, we are constantly, many of us are constantly filtering ourselves through the lens of what other people are going to think and then we adapt even if it's subtle you know like there's something we want to say and then we think about saying it and we think about how it might be received and then we we adapt and I don't want to say like I, I do believe that you know generally diplomacy can be an important thing but I would say also for the most part if you really want to be loved for who you are you know giving at least the people that you really want to be close to a chance to meet you in an unfiltered way is the only way that you're ever going to be able to feel fully loved. Wow. 
oh, there's so much that I want to ask you about this. Um, I, I just, firstly, I've got to say one thing that really has saved my life in everything that you're teaching and in your book is what you've started with. It was unconditional love. You said it was unconditional love that got me to where I am. And your capacity to witness loving what's coming up and like the willingness to feel this is like my patients with cancer, my patients with eating disorders, witnessing that their unwillingness to feel it's what's whether they're obese or having an eating disorder, it's really, it comes down to this. I love how you match together the, the willingness and like, Oh, I also want to dive into in regards to relationship and being able to look at yourself in the mirror. You say we cultivate this feeling of love, right? Somebody else can be a mirror for it. And just when it comes to moving forward from there, maybe I love thinking about what is it that we're not willing to feel? What is it that for you, is there any, um, any flex right now that you're noticing that you're releasing that you're mm, noticing you're unwilling to feel and just like really flexing that love and is there any too much with this like um when I I just I was speaking with a friend yesterday about they had a a, a friend pass away and they were saying I don't want to be so willing to feel this sadness for so long you know there's got to be a time when shouldn't I put an end to this and again it's a big question because um do I do I think sometimes people perpetuate their own suffering totally definitely and on the other side of that I think grief is a really good example of this right you cannot control a grieving process you can't say, okay, this is a good time to grieve and then I'm going to stop grieving and then I'm going to, you know, you, you can't compartmentalize. You can't compartmentalize that process. And I think if the feeling is really, really there, whether, and I think part of why people struggle too is when they maybe hit, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, whenever that point is when you decide, okay, I'm really going to do this work now. And you're confronted with something that you haven't fully processed from, six years old, 10 years old, 15 years old. There's this part of us, I think, that can get so critical of like, I shouldn't, like, this was so long ago. I just should be over it, you know? And we try to rationalize our emotion. And it's one of the most unhelpful things we can do because emotion is energy, right? And we need to feel that emotion. Can you accelerate the process? I believe you can. And that acceleration process is to breathe into the depth of that emotion. And that is a practice. I believe we can practice, we can become better at that. I definitely have. By the way, I don't think anyone reaches a total state of perpetual equanimity without deep discipline and work every single day. Because what happens as your level of mastery increases, the tests just become bigger. You know, like the the things that used to really ruffle my feathers or get me really triggered or whatever I don't generally sweat the small things anymore but you know I've had experiences where I've fallen deeply like unequivocally in love with someone and they trigger the fuck out of me so you know it's like the tests just become more 
the more you I think expand and evolve and, and, and the more masterful you sort of seek to become. Um, and that, that's important, you know, I think you need to embrace the challenges and rather than seeing everything as a destination, understand that it's a consistent journey and whatever the obstacle is. Um, and I would extend that maybe to someone that's battling with a life-threatening health condition. Can you, and I want to say this respectfully because I've been there, like I know how it feels to be completely out of control of your health. And I think healing can begin when you start to view whatever that symptom is as an obstacle that can be overcome so that you're becoming the observer of that experience and you're actually, and it can feel so counterintuitive, but can you go as far to feel and think of that obstacle as your teacher, you know, and, and what is it teaching you? What is it? Uh, evoking in you because that's your material you know that's that's better than therapy that's better than all these like external things if you can simply just be present and honest with whatever that most difficult challenging thing is in your life that's going to give you a pathway to mastery and like to your point what does it take to I don't know exude comfortability or authenticity or confidence it's not something you can you know um cheat your way to you know it's not a script you can learn I think it's a it's a consistent everyday willingness to be with yourself face yourself love yourself even in the ugliest you know times and I think one of the, the blessings of my work is I've got to listen to so many people's stories and when you listen to many people's stories there is a natural perspective that arises which is okay I have really bad traits and so does everyone else <laughs> you know <laughs> I have things where I feel I've really messed up and it's unforgivable and, and whatever, but so does everyone else. Like we're all dealing with that in one way or another. And when you realize that, I think it also gives you a courage to share vulnerability because you realize I'm more likely to be received in that and appreciated in that than I am to be judged in that mm -hmm. um, because it actually gives permission for someone else to be more of themselves. It's just like so powerful being able to hear you and being able to connect the dots with overcoming illness and shifting this into a loving perspective an empowering perspective this isn't happening to me I'm not a victim here like what am I learning from this mm -hmm. and I love how you're able to just like even turn up the volume to the unconditional love I love how you said that it's so triggering being so madly in love with someone that's probably the feeling that I'm least willing to feel is actually that mm -hmm. feeling of being in love. And it's just like the charge is so intense that it's like, I feel like I lose myself in my mind and whatever. And I, I love connecting the dots with, wait, how can we take care of ourselves to the extent that we love this person? You know, like, mm -hmm it's instead of focusing all the energy on them, like, can we, can we, turn the arrow back around yeah <laughs> but it's I think I think culturally to kind of give give people a bit of a break who might be in that experience right we we really have been taught to lose ourselves in love you know we've been taught to romanticize and I think we have not been given the tools to navigate love and I think that that's really 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 important because in a way 
it's no different to giving someone you know a highly addictive drug and then they they want to stabilize themselves and stabilize their life um and us saying like well good luck mate <laughs> you know and not giving them the adequate tools and in in a way i think you know we've we've been um this is how we we treat each other societally and culturally when it comes to love when you fall in love it is it's it's a high you know we have we, we're dealing with high levels of serotonin oxytocin um how do we level ourselves and, and there really is a way and i think it does start with framing it in the right way rather than falling in love can we stand in love you know if if there's someone or something like i have a massive love affair with my 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 mission my vision i could easily and have many times lose myself fully in that i could spend 15 16 hours every single day doing that and nothing else and not even not train and not do all the other things that i have to do you know like that's it has a hold on me so i have to work very hard and that starts with can i see this as a major gift to that allows me to know myself and strengthen myself and reach higher levels of mastery and discipline, not by sacrificing myself to it, but understanding that I am in a relationship with it and I need to be equally as strong. And again, like it's, I can reach one level of mastery and then the next exciting project kind of emerges and I, I have to deal with those feelings all over again you know i've got it's not it's it's not easy to sleep it's not easy to do the things i have to do and have my morning routine and sometimes i suck at it but at least i know how to frame it i think that feeling of like i don't know what to do i feel completely overwhelmed i've lost myself it's like i don't know where to find myself in time and space i don't i don't know where to locate myself and move back into the driver's seat of my life and my awareness Wow, that sounds like an absolute perfect segue. I know you published the book Legacy Disorder that probably talks a lot about this and about... Yeah. Gosh, okay. Well, I, we're running out of time. And if you have not, people out there, if you have not listened to Love Out Loud, if you have not already followed Nick, please, where can people find you? And if you have any retreats or events or anything coming up oh my gosh wait we didn't even talk about the in truth okay monitoring <laughs> well, monitoring my patients and I'm wearing a continuous glucose monitor and uh -huh. fantastic we've got to measure our blood sugar this is all very incredible and important meanwhile every single patient I talk to first getting on the call they don't say that right away that they were just eating poorly they say straight away oh divorce happened oh it's like these are all the emotional things I'm it's dealing with. always an emotional yeah. thing so yeah. you have been in the tech world now developing this incredible I would love to hear more about it and yeah how people can reap the benefits of all of all yeah. of it <laughs> I think you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of you know, my and, and our team's observation um on what's missing from health right and i had had this unique i guess journey as an entrepreneur in health because i've always come at health from um like a pretty unique perspective my work early on as an entrepreneur was focused on building community capacity as a means to solve the stats around mental health which back then was considered like 
what's a completely radical idea? Like these are two unrelated things that you're putting together, which we now know is total BS. You know, yeah. of course, if we have a strong sense of belonging and, you know, but back then it was really considered like wacky. But that those experiences led me to realize, wow, like we can have all the sophisticated systems of health. We can have the best pharmaceuticals and whatever, whatever. If we don't have the right emotional foundation, it's like we're trying to build on quicksand. Like that, yeah. that's basically what I was saying. It's just like, it's a sinking, it's constantly in a sink. So in one way or another throughout my whole career, I've always sought to solve that same problem, which I define as emotional incapacity. The reason I use the word incapacity rather than you know the lack of emotional awareness is I actually argue that many people are aware you know that they have um fluctuating emotions and they're, they're having a difficult time emotionally but i would say that that many of those same people don't have the capacity and that awareness and capacity are two different things you can you can be aware that it's good to eat healthy but you might not have the capacity to make those different decisions and really separating those two things out i think is important and it's been important to the the way that i've design solutions and in, in the beginning it was a lot more analog so I was working with communities living in communities having conversations and then over time yeah just naturally my passion for this problem just moved my thinking in the direction of how do we make this hyper scalable like how do we put this ability for people to work on their capacity in the palm of their hand all day every day when it really matters because we know when someone's coming in once a week and you're relying on them to use recall to tell you exactly what their week was like it's one of the least like uh, effective and trustworthy ways of getting to the core of a problem we can be having like a mental breakdown one day and then feel great when we go to the therapist's office and our recall of that mental breakdown is totally not you know accurate and the other way around we can be exaggerating you know that that whole week was terrible and actually we just had a really bad morning and that's what emotion does to us it clouds our objectivity so you know our solution which uses wearable technology to track emotional state in real time is seeking to support for some first and foremost health practitioners and consumers to understand that there are emotional correlations as to why you're dealing with a health problem and to bring some data to that so that it's less kind of you know uh less subjective and, and less intangible and interestingly every health practitioner that we've spoken to will say the same thing but it will be something along the lines of i'm an osteopath and i don't specialize in emotion but what my patient is telling me is all emotional and i don't know what to deal with that Gosh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm nervous that we're running out of time, but I <laughs> I need this technology so badly. Like all of my patients need this. It's <laughs> so nice to be able to say, yeah. look, like this is what's going on. It's and being able to actually track that rather than it having being some, yeah, is it like a questionnaire? Like there, it's measuring emotions is not exactly something we've been able to do before. So I'm really, really impressed and excited that you're doing this. I love you. You are so, oh, you're so incredible. Thank you for absolutely bringing more love into everything that I do and everything like 
I see everything through a much more loving lens, thanks to your message and thanks to your work and thanks to you and all of your darkness. <laughs> I'm so grateful. <laughs> um, but yeah, if there's anything that um, is coming up that people could get in contact or. Totally. Yeah, so we, we actually have the best. Um, you can go to directly to our website, loveoutloud.io, but for our events and content, we actually have a content hub, which is hub.loveoutloud.io. And in there, we have all our upcoming online events. We do a, um, a regular emotional health, kind of introduction to emotional health webinar. It's a couple hours. Really recommend it if you kind of want to understand the concepts around emotional health. We have a bunch of stuff in there. So, you know, you can go and check it out. And I'm sure there'll be something that tickles your interest. Amazing. Thank you so much. I am so excited to have gotten to speak with you today. Ugh, I'm currently practicing loving my sadness right now that that incredible conversation had to come to a close. Do not worry, though. In the description, all of the links that Nick mentioned are in there. Be sure to check her out. And let us know, what did you get for the, from this conversation? What has shifted for you? How are you turning up the volume towards loving, even loving that super critical inner voice? How are you loving any difficult situations going on in your life? What can we do to mentally cuddle that and shine some light and some love onto it rather than it being oh, just in so much resistance? Let us know. Let Nick know at Nick Gibson, that's N-I-C-G-I-B-S-O-N underscore on Instagram. And check out her Love Out Loud movement on Instagram. It's at loveoutloud.movement on Instagram. You are so incredible. Give yourself credit for this food for thought. Look at you taking care of your holistic health by participating in this conversation with us today. I cannot wait to hear how you have absolutely benefited from it and let me know any suggestions anything you'd like to learn in the future i'm here to help thank you for dedicating time to improve your health and your life by listening to this podcast if you are interested in holistic health and nutritional counseling click the link in my bio to apply don't forget to screenshot this and tag me at vitamin.katie on your instagram story subscribe to this podcast and leave a review to get this message out there to help more people. Thanks again so much for listening and have a beautiful, wonderful, incredible life. Much love to you. Bye.